All right, Ruth chapter number two. You join me there this evening. We'll continue our study in the book of Ruth, chapter number two. You see in the back of the bulletin there, there's a, an outline of the message tonight. If you like to use that, follow along. I provided that for you there. Look at uh, verse number, verse number uh, eighteen. Verse seventeen says, "So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about a nephi barley." We we commented last week on that. If you remember, that was Ruth working in the field. She was such a hard worker that by the end of the day, I think she had gathered about twenty six quarts of barley. And uh, brings that home in verse number 18 and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, verse 18. And she brought forth, gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. So she not only gave her the barley, but she also gave her some of the leftovers that she had from Boaz's table. Remember, Boaz invited her to eat. And he said, eat until you're full. And then uh, he gave her what was left over. So she took home a bag of leftovers. She had a doggy bag, right? Look at verse 19. I want you to pick this up as our text for tonight. And her mother-in-law, who was Naomi, said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed is he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. We came to find out last week that Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, right? He was a kinsman, and that was key, and it'll be key as we move forward in our study. And Naomi said, look at verse number 20, and Naomi said unto her, um, unto her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of, uh, of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, the man is near kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabite said, he said unto me also, that Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean into the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. We're going to take a look at that, that text uh, this evening. Did you, ever, did you ever watch a movie, uh, maybe a television show, um, and, they, and, and they try to give you an explanation of time? What I mean by that is, you know, on the screen, you know, you're watching the movie, and all of a sudden on the screen, these words pop up five years later, you know, or, you know, or it takes you back, you know, a year ago. And what they're trying to do there is, is trying to give you an explanation of time. They're advancing time for us, you know. And as I read through chapter 1 and 2 this week, as I studied this out, I thought, man, I wish, <laughs> I wish the Bible did that for us, you know. I wish it would say between chapter 1 and chapter 2. So now three years have passed, you know. That's just the way I, I, I think. I like to know that. I'm a newsy person. I ask questions about everything, you know, uh, but we don't know how much time passed between Ruth chapter one and chapter number two. What we know is this. Now I'm going to tell the story. This is the way I handle 
studying through a book. I'm going to tell the story, and then I'm going to give you some practical things to take with you, okay? Right? You kind of get the gist, right? That's what we'll be doing each week. So let me just kind of tell the story and remind you where we, where we are. Uh, we read the end of chapter number one, and what we found was uh, Naomi and Ruth are heading back home, right? They're, they're, get, they're going back to Bethlehem. They were, in, they were in Moab, and now they're heading back to, uh, to uh, Bethlehem. And, 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 and when they arrive there, it appears by what's being said in chapter number one, that Naomi had the stress of Moab all over her. It was very visible. Do you remember the story? Yes. Right? Uh, she gets back into town. Um, and, 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 you know, when, 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 you re, re, when, when you looked at what happened in Moab, uh, man, she suffered great loss. You know? And it was visible. Because when she gets back into town, uh, beaten, beaten down and distressed and, and so on and so forth, the, the townspeople, you know, uh, begin to say, they're looking at her, and they're beginning to say, is that Naomi? Is that Naomi? Huh? Did you ever, did you ever do that? Uh, did you ever see somebody come back to church who you hadn't seen in a while, and they aged? Nobody ever gets younger. Did you ever notice that? <laughs> and they aged, and all of a sudden, you know, and we hate to do it, but we do it. No, let's be honest. Right? We're not in church. We're in classroom, so we can be honest. <laughs> you know, we, we kind of lean over and say, man, is that, is that Mike? Is that, is that Betty? Uh, and what you're saying is, man, they got old. <laughs> you just don't want to say it, right? And so I think, I think the townspeople, and if you really do do a study, word study in that text, it's in the feminine text, it's in the feminine uh, tense, where it's the ladies that are saying, is that Naomi? And you know what? Boy, sometimes people can be cruel. Huh? Man, she got old, man. She got fat, man. She's all wrinkled. She looks like a prune. She got gray. She hadn't had her hair done, you know? And so is that Naomi? And what they're noticing, what they're noticing is this. They're noticing her appearance and how it changed. When she left for Moab, she was pleasant. Now pay attention right here. When she left for Moab, she was known as pleasant. But upon her return, she's become a bitter person. Right. She's a bitter person. And, and we read her own words. Uh, let's look at them. Look in chapter number one again. In chapter one and verse number um, 20, she said unto them, verse 19 is where it says, is this Naomi? Verse, 19, verse 20. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me what? Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. What she's saying is this. Her name, Naomi, means pleasant. And she's saying, call me no longer pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter. And then, and then you've seen this. It appears that, at least to me, that she's blaming God for her condition. Right? Look, look, look at the next verse. She says, I went out full, and the Lord brought me home again empty. Why call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me? She's saying God's against me. You see that? That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? So it appears that she's kind of, you know, blaming God. But, you know, when you turn to chapter number two, we just read this. When you turn to chapter number two, it, it appears to me that Naomi has a change of heart. Huh? Because look what she says in chapter number two, in verse number uh, 20. She says, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, 
uh, Ruth, blessed be he of the Lord who has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Hello? And I'm not sure how much time has passed. Again, it'd be nice, you know, if it said, you know, uh, two years later, while in Bethlehem, but we don't know that. But we do know this, something was changing in Naomi's heart. Because she went from, you know, blaming God, criticizing, complaining about God, to now she's saying to her daughter-in-law Ruth, you know, blessed be he of the Lord. And you see those words where she says, uh, 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 in verse number 20, where she says, he has not left off his kindness to the living to the dead. Here's what that really says. She went on to say, she says, the Lord always keeps his promises. Wow. Wow. Isn't it awesome when you get around somebody who you know kind of got off track, they were a little wayward, and you get back around them, and all of a sudden they begin to say some favorable. My wife, who was I talking to last night? It was my wife. My wife and I were talking last night, and there was an episode just that she was involved with just this week, and she heard somebody uh, say something, and the person that was with her was surprised that this person said that because the person who said it has been struggling with their faith. And so it was kind of surprising that they're speaking now so favorably about the Lord, right? So here's Naomi, and she's got this change of heart, and she says, you know, the Lord always keeps his promises, look at this, to the living and the dead. Did you see that in the Bible? To the living and the dead. What a change. Here's my question. As I read that, Kevin, as I read that, my question is this. What caused such a change? Right? There's always got to be cause and effect. Right? You, you know, cause and effect. For something to be effective, it's got to be a cause. What caused the change in her heart? I want to make two suggestions, biblical suggestions. The first is this. In chapter 1, verse 6, there's the word return. Right? Remember we looked at that? Naomi came to her senses, and she just said, we got to go back. And where'd she go back to? She went back to where she started from. Right? She went back to Bethlehem. And here's the thing. Here's what I said about that, if you remember. She put herself back in an environment where she could get back to the Lord. That's key. When you're backslidden, when you're straying, when you're struggling with your faith, a good thing for you to do is get back into fellowship with others who were strong in the faith. Years ago, man, it was a long time ago, I was coming out of my church office. I was walking at my office. I left. It was there's a, a, a had to walk over to where the auditorium was. Left my office. Was walking over to the auditorium, and sitting in one of our benches there was a young man. His name was Ray. Ray Ray, Ray Ray Brown. I hope he's not watching. Ray Ray. And I looked at Ray. He was sitting there. I said, Ray, where were you this morning? And Ray said, Pastor, I just stay home. I just stayed home, and I just want to get alone with God and, and read the Bible. And here's exactly what, I mean, just like this, Tim, God spoke to my heart, and I never forgot this. And you won't read this in any book. This is a Yanisism. And here's what I said to him. Ray, don't if you're not where God wants you to be, don't expect God to show up where you are. Now, I'm going to say that again. You ought to write that down. If you're not where God wants you to be, don't expect God to show up where you are. 
That's big. Huh? How did how in the world did this woman, Naomi, who goes from being bitter to now blessing the Lord, what caused the change? I think this. I think she got back to a place where God can begin to again work. She was in Moab. She never, she, she, that's like being in the world. It's like when you leave church and you just go live in the world. You're carnal. The way back is get back into fellowship, right? But the second thing I, I think this, and again, biblical, I think this, a second cause would, would be the kindness and character of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Huh? I think she got back to the right place. And for me, I'm just going to take a little bit of, of, um, of liberty here and say she, she went back to church. You know, she got back into fellowship. She's back in Bethlehem. But also the kindness of her daughter. Or I would say this, the kindness of another believer. The character of another believer the help of another believer. It's just amazing the difference and the impact and the influence that one person can make on another. Never underestimate what a handshake, what a note, what a text, what a kind word, you know, can do to help somebody. You never know the condition somebody's heart's in. And all of a sudden they get a little text from you, hey brother, I just thinking about you today, praying for you today. Man, that speaks volumes at times. Huh? You know? Or you see somebody in the hall, man, I see him at you. I want you I prayed for you. The kindness of one person. And now, here's Naomi. She's blessing the Lord because her heart, her heart has changed. And then in chapter number 22 there, she kind of she lends some good counsel to Ruth. She says in verse number 22, uh, under, under Ruth, I think you got it up on the screen. Did I put 22 there? No, I didn't. Um, she, says, she says this. Uh, to Ruth, it's good, my daughter, uh, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in another field. What she's kind of saying there is this, it's good that you're going to stay working in Boaz's field. Listen, listen to this, you'll be safe there. You'll be safe there. You get into another field, you never know what might happen. And I, I've read some commentaries on this, and there's a suggestion uh, that what she was saying is this, you'll be safe in uh, Boaz's field, because in the other field, those young men might try to do something to you. Huh? So she's giving her some good counsel. And then you see verse 23, and I, I like this. There's something, there's something uh, here. He says, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean under the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And notice it says there, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. And dwelt with her mother-in-law. I'll come back to that in just a moment. That's a great story, isn't it? I mean, from start to finish, and we still have a couple of chapters to go, and the, and the real power of the book of Ruth is in chapter three and four, you know. But I, as, I, as I read through it, as I studied through it this week, just a couple of things jump, jumped up off the page uh, for me that I want to share with you. Just a couple of lessons, maybe four of them. You ready? Here's the first one. I'm going to say uh, lessons from Ruth and Naomi restoration is a possibility. And somebody said, amen. amen. Restoration is a possibility. You know, the Bible makes it clear from cover to cover that restoration is God's desire, right? Uh, redemption, reconciliation, restoration from the very beginning. You know, you can go back to the book of Genesis. You look at that first couple. Right, Adam and Eve. And they got all messed up. 
They were struggling, right? Chapter number two, I mean, they just, they just fall into sin. Chapter number three, man, you know, they're just, you know, in sin. When all of a sudden God comes along, Adam, where art thou? You, you've heard that story before? Huh? And, and Adam says, you know, I, I hid myself. Why did you hide yourself? Because I was afraid. Why were you afraid? Because I'm naked. Why are you naked? He didn't ask that question. I would have. Where's your clothes? And he would have had to say, I sinned. And God would have said, you foolish, foolish person. I'm going to have to start all over. That's not what God did. It's not what God did. Because when you read in Genesis 3, verse number 21, you know what God does? He provides a sacrifice. He, it's the very first sacrifice in the Bible, Genesis 3, 21. And he takes the skin of an innocent animal and he clothes Adam and Eve in that skin. Redemption. I mean, from the very beginning, it's God's desire that we be restored, reconciled. Amen? And that's what happens here in this text of Scripture. Uh, Naomi was on her way back to being restored. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, one of my favorite texts of Scripture in all the Bible is found over in the Gospel of John. And it has to do with the story of Peter. You know, Peter was restored, right? You know, Peter struggled with his faith, didn't he? You read the life of Peter? Uh, I think maybe you agree, maybe you won't. I think his, his greatest struggle was when he denied the Lord. Remember that? In fact, the Lord predicted it. Peter said, man, I'll never leave thee. You know, and the Lord said, Peter, before that cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way. And all of a sudden, what do we read? We read of Peter denying the Lord. And I would think this. I mean, when you read the scenario, when you listen to his words, you know, Peter had strayed from his faith. He is discouraged. He's, he's down, you know. But then when you read in John's Gospel, chapter number 21, I love that text of Scripture because what it is is this. It, it's a, it's a, a text of Scripture that reveals, you know, the restoring of, of Peter. And I always pictured it in my mind, you know, they're just sitting up on the beach, you know, and just, just you know, sitting around, and Peter's in the, in the circle, and the Lord kind of, you know, makes his way over. Six next, did, you, did you ever read the text? Sits, sits next to Peter, and he begins with the small talk, and then he asks him, he asks him that question. Peter, do you love me? Remember that story? Peter, do you love me? And, you know, Peter says, right, man, Lord, you know I love you. Here's how I picture it. Derek, I picture it as, you know, they're all sitting around. Peter's sitting there with his kind of his head down. Why? Well, because he denied the Lord, and they all knew it, right? I mean, they all knew it. There's no secret. And so Jesus kind of next to him, Peter, do you love me? And uh, Peter says, Lord, yeah, I love you. And I think there may have been like an awkward pause. Are you with me? And the Lord asked him again, right? Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. There's no evidence of any other conversation, right? And then the third time, the Lord looks over to him, Peter, do you love me? And, I, and you know, Peter, don't you love Peter? He kind of got an attitude. Lord, now, man, what, like I tell, how many times are you going to ask me? Right? Can't you just hear him saying that? How many times are you going to ask me? You know I love you. 
and then what Jesus says next in my here's here's how I read read this. Jesus is saying to him, then get back in the game. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Right? It's time to get. Now, there's a lot that can be said about that text of Scripture. How many times did Peter deny? How many times did Jesus ask me to love him? Three. But you know my favorite? My favorite explanation of that is when you look at the word love. Because the word love there is different. You know there's three different uses or words for the word love, right? There's, there's phileo, there's eros, and there's agape, right? <laughs> phileo is brotherly love. John, I love you, brother. Love you, man. It's brotherly love. Now, be honest with you. I don't love you like I love my wife. I hope not. But I love you. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you know I phileo you. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know I phileo you. You know what the Lord said the third time? Peter, do you phileo me? You know what he was saying? Peter, we'll start where you're at. We'll start right where you're at, and that's good enough for me. Boy, I'll tell you what, that speaks volumes to me about my Savior. So, Pastor, how do you know that? I just, all I did was look in a concordance and just look at the word love, and you'll see it's just like that. Agape phileo, agape phileo, phileo phileo. Huh? And there's no, <laughs> there's no mistaking it. That's what God was trying to say to Peter. I love you. You know, I want to take it just like, just get back in the game. You know what that's called? It's called restoration. It's restoration. Rest I won't get personal, but... God's restored me several times throughout the last 40-some years of my salvation. And I'm so glad. He's just there with open arms and, you know, brings us back in. Amen? See, the Lord desires to restore all those who stray from the faith. And here's what they say, and I think it's true. The first step is the hardest step to make. It's just that first step back. But after you take that first step, he meets you with his grace. You know, and he enables that that restoration back into fellowship with him. Amen. Naomi is on her way back. Aren't you glad? She's on her way back. The second thing I see, and this is not for everybody, but it's in it's in it's in there. Widowhood is not forever. Widowhood is not forever. Now, in the story of Ruth and Boaz. You know they get married. I told you that last week. I was just a spoiler alert. They do get married. This is a great, just a great romance novel. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful story. Because as you get into chapter number three, you're going to see the courtship. You know what courtship is, right? Huh? And they're courting here. Uh, but think about this. Here's a young widow now living with her mother-in-law in a foreign land. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe she's just thinking, this is my lot in life, <laughs> right? I mean, I married, my husband died. Now I'm a Moabite living in Israel. I'm living with my mother-in-law. What's my chances of, right? Naomi said to her back in Moab, why don't you go find, a, go find, another, find another guy? No, where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. 
Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. Here she is. I don't think she, in her wildest dreams, would have ever thought of the plan that God has for her. What a plan, right? If you ever, if you, if you ever read ahead, you find out who Ruth become, who Ruth is, and what her and Boaz, what you know, how God uses them in this unbelievable plan, you know. And then when you look back and see who Boaz's parents were, it's amazing how God's grace is so visible. And we'll talk about that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when we get into chapter three and four, we'll see that. Uh, but God's got this plan for Ruth. And you know, when you, when you go into the New Testament, the Bible speaks a little bit about widows. And in 1 Timothy chapter number five, God gives some instruction to the church about widows. And you know what he says? Uh, did I put that verse in there? I didn't. Um, listen to 1 Timothy 5, verse number 9. He said this, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. In other words, what he's saying is this. The instruction that Paul has given to Timothy and to the church is that if, if a, a woman's husband dies, and she's young, under 60. Now, back in that day, under 60 was pretty young. I know today, you know, we're not living as long and every day's adventure, right? You never know. They, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said it again, you know, pastor, I wake up every day, wake up every day and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. You know, it's just it's the way it is, right? I mean, it's crazy stuff. But what he's saying, what the, you know, back in the day is this, it, it would be more beneficial for a young woman or young woman to get married you know, than to stay single. Don and I, before we moved here to the great, lovely, cloudy state of New Jersey, we came from the sunshine state of Florida. And I didn't know this when I got there. When we got there, you know, you go to Florida. It's Florida. I was looking more for, you know, what the Lord had for us. And then all of a sudden, then we began to realize there are a lot of old people here. <laughs> There really are There's a lot of old people here in our church. Probably, I don't know, 60% seniors, I guess, something like that, maybe, you know, um, lovely people. But here's what I found out. You know, I, I, all of a sudden, Jason worked for me down there. We were, I kid you not, folks, we were doing, we were averaging two funerals a month. You do the math on that. You know, at one point in time, I said to my wife, is this a church or a funeral Funeral home. I have pastor or funeral director. I just felt like I was doing funerals all the time. But here's what was interesting. It wasn't but like no time after the person was, I won't say buried, but they mostly got cremated in Florida. You know, after they were buried or cremated or whatever, that I'm noticing in the church, that brother's sitting with that sister and that sister's sitting with that brother. They're 105 years old and they're saying, Pastor, we want to get married. Yeah. Now, you know, I come from the Northeast. You just don't do it that way up here, right? You know, right? But down there, right, Donna? And I mean to tell you, it was unbelievable. You know, like our seniors ministry was almost like, you know, dating.com. <laughs> you never know who they're walking out with next. And I was saying to my wife, is so-and-so sitting with so-and-so? And she said, uh-huh. Crazy. Right, Jay? Nick, right? Hilarious. But it was wonderful. It gave me hope. <laughs> gave my wife hope. 
Maybe one day, you never know. But when I read through this and I see what happens with Ruth, you know, I just couldn't help but, and I just, again, I just put this in my notes, you know, widowhood is not forever. But then you take some of the older, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at <laughs> Sister Lil, and she's, she's just a little bit older than 60, just a little bit. And she's saying, what about me, Pastor? There's a good church in Florida. <laughs> got a lot of guys, man. Just got them in line. Just waiting. <laughs> they line up, Lil. They're just lined up, man. You know, we have dating services down there. But, you know, I, I liken this and I thought about this when when the Bible talks about, you know, how you ever read where God becomes a father to the fatherless. I also believe he becomes a husband to the husbandless and a wife to the wifeless. How do you say that? Because when, when Jesus, really with Moses, asked God, what's your name? And he said, I am. You know what he's saying? I am whatever you need me to be whenever you need me to be it. Right? And so there's some days when you're feeling lonely and you feel, well, here, there he is. Right? Let him be it. Right? Your health, your Security, your husband, your wife, your mother, your father. That's our God. Amen? Amen. Let me give you another. Look at this one. God's provision is continual. God's provision is continual. Notice the words in verse 21 of our text. And Ruth the Moabite said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men. Now notice this until they have ended all my harvest. In other words, Boaz was going to provide for her until the end. This was not just a one-time gift. No, this was a commitment of care he makes toward her. You know, you stay by my men. Uh, you, you glean with my maidens. That's a commitment of care. And you know, I think this, I think a foundational verse for the Christian is found over in Matthew chapter number 6. That Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and they begin to say to him, but Lord, I mean, you know, if we follow you, if we leave our nets and if we leave our, our businesses, if we leave our jobs, who's going to feed us? Who's going to clothe us? Who's going to take care of us? That's the context of that passage, right? And, and the Lord says, he says to these guys, fellas, think about this. Think about, you know, the lilies in the field or the sparrows in the air. Who takes care of them? Are you not more important to me than flowers and birds? O ye of little faith? And then that <laughs> paramount verse, verse 33, what does he say? Instead of worrying about those things, just put your faith in me. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and... And all these things, what things? All the things that you're worried about. Who's going to clothe you? Who's going to feed you? Who's going to pay your bills? All these things shall be added unto thee. Huh? That's God's provision. And it's continual. It doesn't stop. Romans chapter number 8. I didn't put that up there neither. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He said this. Listen to this Bible verse. I love this Bible verse. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, 
how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know what he's saying there? If I held back, if I didn't hold back your greatest need, I gave my only begotten son Jesus to meet your greatest need. You mean to tell me that you're going to worry about the little minor things of everyday life? That's how, he, that's how you interpret Romans 8, 32. I'm not going to hold back. I gave you Jesus. You think I'm going to hold back a little bit of food? Huh? His care. Did you ever sing that old song, God Will Take Care of You? You ever seen that? Through every day or all the way, he will take care of you. God will take care of you. He will. His provision is continual. And then one final thing. Keeping your word matters. Keeping your word matters. Look again at verse 23. It says, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean into the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest. And what's that last statement? And dwelt with her mother-in-law. She dwelt with her mother-in-law. Kind of reads this. She continued to live with Naomi. That's how you read that. She continued to live with Naomi. Why? Because she had made a promise. Remember what she said? Naomi said, man, just go, go, go back to your people. Go back to your... And she said, no, no, I'm going with you. I'm going to follow you. Where you go, I go. Your people, my people. Where you die, I die. <laughs> and what's she doing now? She's just keeping her word. She's just keeping her word. And, and, and listen carefully. That speaks volumes about her quality and character and integrity. And you know what? You know what? That is what drew Boaz to Ruth. Right? You know, it didn't say anything about her beauty. Who is that damsel? And his supervisor of that field said, that's the young lady, Ruth, who came with Naomi from Moab. You know, and she's loyal to her. I mean, she's just, are you with me? And, and, and the supervisor said, man, she's been working all day long and just took a short break. And what happens? Boaz is drawn to her, attracted to her character, attracted to her integrity. And I, I wrote this in my notes. Again, for young men, young ladies looking for a spouse, good qualities right there. What are you attracted to? What's attracting you? Now, let's be honest. When I was looking for a bride, I wasn't looking for a, an ugly girl. I just wasn't, you know, I was superficial, you know, however, I wasn't looking for a beauty queen either, right? Now you could, you don't have to believe this. I promise you, it doesn't matter to me if you do or not, but there is some truth in this, some truth in this. When I met Donna, we were 17 years old. We were, we were in high school. We're 17. We're 17 years old. And, uh, and we met, and I, I, Donna, I'll tell you, the first time I, I knew, I saw her, I saw her around the neighborhood. I didn't know her. But when I met her, I'll be honest with you, my heart started speaking Greek. <laughs> I mean, to tell you, inside I was going, woo-wee. I felt like Adam, whoa, man. Man. Beautiful, man. She had this long blonde hair, and. 
And her eye used to do this. Remember, Don? I didn't know if she was winking at me or if she had a twitch. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> right then, your eye used to do that? <laughs> she did. I'm going to get beat up when I get home. <laughs> She's giving me the evil eye, Maurice. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> now she can't see. She, she's always squinting. <laughs> Help me here, Bob. Get me out of trouble. <laughs> but anyway, from that night, I, I just I started liking her. And so she would invite me to come over to her house. We only live a short distance away. And, uh, and man, she would make stuff for me, food. And I thought to myself, holy moly, she's good looking and she can cook. <laughs> and the thing that kind of sealed the contract for me was her egg salad. <laughs> I thought to myself, if this girl can make egg salad taste this good, what can she do with chicken? <laughs> and even till today, I kid you not, she makes the best egg salad. I love her egg salad, you know? And uh, now, why did I say that? I have no idea. Maybe you want some egg You got, maybe I want some egg salad. <laughs> Looking for a wife. Looking for a wife, right? And so when Boaz sees the, the quality of this young lady, he's drawn to her. He's drawn to her character, right? Well, I'll tell you what, I, this is just a side note, and I'm done. We, we really need to educate our young men and our young ladies. We really do. That's why I said to you in the beginning of our Vision Sunday, this year, this upcoming year, part of my goal for Sunday nights is to periodically spend some time with our teenagers, you know, and, and just share my heart with them, you know. And I don't mind telling my story. I don't mind telling them 17 years old how I met my wife and how I felt about her and what drew me to her, and, you know. And you, you be real with them. You don't lecture them. You don't condescend you just be real and you share and you can get through to them because there's some things that they need to hear. Not that they're not hearing it, but I think, I think I just want to reinforce it, right? Because our young people are valuable and we want them to have what God wants for them. Amen. Look at this Bible verse. I'm finished. As far as keeping your word, he said this, suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. In other words, be careful what you say. Uh, and, and the whole point was keeping your word. Be careful what you say. It's really important. Great lessons from the life of Ruth and Naomi. Let me finish up. I think it's important to get to the place where we forsake the it's all about me mindset. Did you get that? We have to get to that place where we're willing to forsake that mindset. It's all about me. And we adopt the mindset. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about God. It's all about what his, his plan, whatever he wants for my life. That's what matters most, right? Because when you dwell on self, you're headed for disappointment. We finished up last night in our Bible Institute, had a great Institute class last night. When Mr. Cheryl quit on us, but we finished with this Bible verse last night, great Bible verse. I'll, I'll quote it and I'll finish. Joshua 1, verse 8. We finished with that, Craig, last night, right? Joshua 1, 8. And here's, here's what he says. This book of the law 
shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, right? For then I will make your way prosperous, then you'll have good success. Now, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't walk around with a Bible. Joshua didn't have a Bible, but he had the law. He had the Word of God. And God said to him this. He said, in order for you to succeed, you're going to need to meditate upon my Word. You're going to have to digest it. And then observe to do according to all that is written there and just do what you're supposed to do. The whole key to the book of Joshua, the journey of faith, is obedience. It's obedience. Because if you obey God's Word, he said this, I'll make your way prosperous and I'll give you good success. There's something better than success. It's good success. Good success comes from God. Amen? And that's what you find here in the book of Ruth. You find a young lady who's just obeying God's word, just obeying God's plan. And it's going to, it's going to turn out real good for her, as we'll see next week. Amen? If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you can give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.